0: good morning how's everybody that's good I want you to think about if you looked into the future and you took what you know about God and prophecy prophetic things what do you see what do you see God doing in the future You know, a lot of people, we get afraid of of things that are laid out in the book of Revelation. We think, I just don't even want to think about that, know about that. I want you to take and just change perspective and say, wait a minute, God has something good for mankind. And sometimes difficult things happen in all of our lives. But what they do is they, they shape us and they form us so that we can really understand and receive the things of God. Some of the greatest lessons all of us have learned have been those lessons we've learned in some of the most difficult times in our life, right? And what God does is he, he wants us to be comforted by Scripture. He wants us to understand some things about, about what he's up to and, and how he works best to, to really get our attention in this world. And so revelation does that. In time kind of stuff does that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to think about this. What if God was, were going to use you in these last days for the kingdom in a marvelous way that you never could have imagined before? What if He was going to touch your heart and use you to speak to someone? We're seeing evidence of what God's doing that I think is really unusual. Last week we talked about uh, the number of people that are coming to faith in Christ worldwide, it's never been greater. Never has there been an acceleration of the movement of God like there is worldwide. Now, you may not see it all in your world. You may not see it all happening in America, but it's happening worldwide. And I like to use the illustration. I like to keep you updated with what's going on, and we're going to get you information on some of the other Bible schools. But this week, I spoke at Esperanza High School. And it was my first time to be at the Bible Club, and so I really didn't know uh, what all to expect, other than there were going to be a hundred or so kids gathered in the gymnasium, which they do every week to hear the Word of God. And it's amazing that that's happening. What I expected was about half of them on their phones, cutting up, not paying attention, half of them serious about what was going on. To my shock, they walked in, they grabbed their pizza, they sat down, and they got ready to listen. The worship began to play, and they listened, and they sang. They focused on what was going on, and immediately I knew that there was something that was unusual that was happening in this place. There was something that God was doing in that high school, in those kids, for a reason. I got up to speak, and I spoke on a subject that was a a challenging subject. It is, you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? And many shall say to me on that day, did we not do great mighty works in your, in your name? And he'll say, I didn't know you. And as I spoke there for about 15 to 18 minutes, there was not one kid that was on their phone. There was not one kid that was cutting up. Not one kid was sleeping, which was really encouraging. <laughs> and I knew that it was not because of my words. It was because of what God was doing. I can look back in when I was in high school and even in those days where there was a move of God happening and and I didn't see that happening. I spoke at that same high school about four years ago at an FCA meeting and it didn't happen there that way. I would say that day there were probably 150 kids and there were kids that were just cutting up, just goofing off, talking on their phones and I knew that this was different, that God was doing something different. I know God's doing something different in your life and in our church's life when I hear you bring me stories, stories about what God is doing in your life and through your life. You know, the testimony of what God is doing speaks to to what is happening in our body. I got a phone call this past week from my friend Randy, and he he, uh, said, hey, I've got a story to tell you. And I said, what's the story? And he said, well, I was going over to get tires on my truck. And I thought, okay, oh, this is going to get exciting. This is going to get interesting, right? And I said, yeah, what happened? He said, well, I, they were, I was frustrated because they were working so slow. I didn't know their slowness was of God. And I go, you got to explain that. He said, a, a little bit later, a, a man came walking around the corner. He was a man in his uh, mid-90s. I found out he was 93 years old. And he was kind of grumbling about what was going on and how bad they were working on his, his car. And, and we began to just sit down and talk. And I said, what's your story? And what did you do in life? And he told him, he said, what'd you do before that? And while well, I was in the Navy, I was on an on a, a aircraft carrier and, and he went on to tell this whole story. And then Randy transitioned and he said, well, how are you doing with Jesus? Now they're in a tire store outside on a bench in Fullerton and he's asking the Jesus question. Would have been really easy not to ask the Jesus question. Would have been really easy to, to bypassed the entire conversation but he stopped long enough to talk about Jesus and the guy said well you know really not much is going on in my life about Jesus and and Randy B kept drilling and asking the question he said you know fellar, I remembered when you talk to somebody about Jesus if they don't want to hear about it keep talking about Jesus and when they don't want to hear about it keep talking about Jesus just keep talking about Jesus and sooner or later they're going to want to hear about Jesus And so as I talked and talked to him, and I talked to him about Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, and he said, have you ever heard anything quite like that? He said, no, I really haven't. And he said, would you like to receive Christ? And this 93-year-old man in front of a tire store in Fullerton, California, sitting on a bench with one of our guys said, I would. So here you've got Randy with his arm around a 93-year-old man, and they're praying This man is weeping, receiving Jesus Christ into his life. He got down. He was apologizing for his tears. He said, I don't normally do this. I don't know what's happened. He said, but I feel so different. He said, well, Jesus came into your life. I want you to know, think about this. That is a miracle of God. We can rejoice when little babies are born and they come from the womb. They come from life to life. But when someone comes from death to life, you see, apart from God, we're all dead in our sins. When someone comes from death to life and they never die again because of eternity, we rejoice greatly in all of that. When we look at what's happening in our world and we're, we're focused today in this series uh, on, at the second hour on prophecy and in and, uh, time events, current events, what's going on in our world. And we read our headlines and we say, but God, how does all of this fit into the picture? What we want to help you do in this process is take and look at the word of God and look at what's happening in our world and try to make some sense of what's happening. We have commentators on TV and some have a a liberal bias and some have a very conservative bias. Some television shows are Christian and some are clearly not Christian. And I think what we have to do is we have to look and try to put our arms around all that's happening in our world and say, God, give me wisdom as I read this and as I read what's happening in my world today. One of the headlines that caught my attention was this one. The State Department endorses Canadian Islamic manual that describes jihad as noble. I thought it was unusual for a couple of reasons. One, why do we have to embrace the Canadian manual on this subject but what was really interesting is a quote that's found in it and it goes like this it says that terrorism is not jihad jihad is a noble concept in islam now when you read that if you're like me you're me going, go no wait a minute that's not right if i was talking to someone from that perspective from the quran they would say no that's not right either not what that is so I look at that and I say okay what does that mean to us because we want to try to filter all this through current events in life I think what it's doing and what all these headlines are going to do is they're desensitizing us to reality you see when reality doesn't really kind of hit on the top cylinder we kind of look at life and we go yeah that makes sense and we adjust to the changes in culture And we assume those changes also should affect the Word of God, because people do that. They say, well, you know, I know the Bible says that, but it was written a long time ago, and after all, we have to bring it up to date. Let me tell you this, Jesus is never out of date. His Bible is always relevant. Now, here's the second one uh, headline I saw. Houston subpoenas pastor's sermons in gay rights ordinance case. In this particular case, the mayor of Houston said, we need your sermons because we think you've been talking about a bill that we passed about the use of restrooms by male and female, and they can choose whichever one they want to go in. The thing I found interesting is it was a pretty brazen act. It was an act that really was not met well, by the way, by the public, you can only imagine, was not met well even by the attorney general there in the state of Texas who said, no, that's not right. The pastors, by the way, refused to give her anything she asked, and they said, if you want our sermons, they're all online. Okay, you can watch them there. But here's what they said in response to that, and I took this quote. The separation of church and state means that we will render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, but the preaching of the church of God does not belong to Caesar, and we will not hand it over to him, not now and not ever. Amen. But again, we have to ask, what's going on? What's going on with this kind of thing is, again, it is how far can state, how far can the world encroach in on this walk that we have with God? And what happens is, once you get desensitized to some degree on a subject like this, then you say, well, it kind of makes sense. Don't you think we shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that? And that would be, by and large, culture would say something like that, not necessarily a local church or a church that preaches the word of God. Here's another one. ISIS declares war on Christians. It's really not new news to us. It found itself in the Israeli uh, national news uh, online. But if we think about it, the declaration of war against those who name the name of Jesus Christ is prophetic. The book of Revelation lays that out for us. It tells us that that there is going to be this onslaught against those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And we don't really see a lot of persecution in our world. We see some things that disrupt our world, but we don't see it like we're seeing it uh, in Iraq at this particular time. Now, one of the things that I get questioned about a lot is, Are we going through the tribulation period? Are Christians going through the tribulation? And some people say, yes, we are. And some people say, I don't think so. And other people say, I don't have a clue, right? And you might be in the, I don't have a clue category. Well, we're going to talk about some of the prophetic, big prophetic events in this series. But today I want to introduce you to a very key passage. It's in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you have your Bibles, let's open them up to chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now, in, in, in this particular chapter, Paul has just explained this subject called the rapture in chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. He's laying out what does it mean to be taken up in the air, to be out of the, out of the fire, so, so to speak, when the great tribulation comes. So, he says, now concerning, verse 1, now concerning the times. Now, you notice there that I, <clears throat> I put... Uh, The Greek word there for time. And the other word for time, seasons. Okay. may talk like Minnie Mouse here for a while. You say it was a good laugh. Okay. So what it says here is, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Okay, you, you understand what's happening in the prophetic world is what he's saying. I don't need to write to you about that. <clears throat> For you, you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, now what is the day of the Lord? It's the second coming. So he says, you know that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. In other words, no one can know the day of Christ's return. It's gonna be unannounced. It's gonna be not on somebody's calendar. There's not some prophet, some preacher, some apostle somewhere who's going to be able to tell you the exact day of his return. But here's what it does say. The times and the seasons we can know. We can know some blocks of time. We can say, for example, with great authority that we are living in a prophetic time. We're living in a very unique time in prophetic history. So It says, when they say, peace and safety. Now, throughout this, I want you to notice that I tried to highlight the personal pronouns because they unlock the passage. For example, notice it says, I have no need to write to you. And he's writing to who? Christians. When they say, you'll notice here, they, in verse three, when they say, peace and safety, they say, all is well, or we're monitoring the situation. That's kind of been a tagline lately, we're monitoring what's happening in Iraq. It's the greatest genocide we've seen since World War II. We're monitoring the situation. That's code for we don't want to get involved, we're not interested. You know, when you monitor something, you only react when something goes wrong. So for example, if you have a hall monitor in a school, that monitor will go to and and solve a problem when something is really bad. If nothing's bad, they just kind of let life go on. When we say we're monitoring something, we're really saying there's nothing really bad going on in our world. Right now we're monitoring Ebola. And and I think what we, we see is that, again, what does that mean? It means that you should trust us because we have your best interests in hand and if something really bad happened, we would raise the alarm and we would tell you. The problem is that when life kind of moves in this kind of a journey, sometimes there's not time to react. See, they were monitoring the situation of Nazi Germany in 1935. And it didn't do much good. So that's why I say you need to know what the Word of God says. It says then, It says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Who's them? Not you, on them. So in this passage, we have two things happening. We have those who know God and those who don't know God. And it says, for you who know God, you're called in that personal pronoun you, because he's writing to you, and they are those who don't know God. And it says, and they, verse three, shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. I'm talking about spiritual darkness here. That this day should overtake you, how? As a thief. So that day's not going to overtake us as a thief because God has another plan for those who name the name of Christ. Therefore, let us not sleep. And the idea is don't be indifferent about what's going on, don't be out of touch with what's happening in your world. Because as you watch your world and you watch your scripture, you can put those two things together and understand what God is up to. He said, verse 5, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor are we of the darkness. Again, spiritual. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So what we want to do is we want to have a watchful eye. We want to say, what's happening in my world? How do I interpret that in my world? What plans? What do I need to do? How do I prepare myself for the last days? I believe we should always be prepared for what God wants to do in our life. But we should also look at culture, look at life, and say, how do I make good preparation? So, verse 6. Watch, be sober, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as the helmet, the hope of salvation. He gives us kind of this trilogy of of qualities that we ought to have. He says you ought to have faith, you ought to have love, and you ought to have hope, and you ought to protect those at all costs. Now, why did he just isolate those three out? Faith, love, and hope, because those are three things that are going to be the hardest commodity to put your hands on in the last days. Faith in God, love for mankind, love for God, and hope in the future. So he says, all right, you need a helmet, you need a breastplate, you have to protect your heart, you have to protect your head, and these three ingredients are going to be key for you. For God did not appoint us, Christians, to wrath but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who died for us, that whether we wake or whether we sleep, we should live unto him. Therefore, because of everything I've told you, comfort one another. Okay, we can be comforted because God has a plan for us. God has good things for us. God is going to take control of the situation for us. Therefore, comfort one another, Edify. What does that mean? That means build up. Speak good words to one another as you are also doing. Now again, the personal pronouns in this chapter unlock the passage. Who's they? Who's you? Also, you notice there's two time zones that are functioning in this chapter. One is called chronos. One is called kairos. Two words that are translated uh, times or seasons. So chronos is the passing of hours, where we get our word chronology. So, okay, how many days, how many hours, how many whatever. But kairos means an appointed time or a specific time. Let me give an example. Mark chapter 1 in verse 15. It It says, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe in the good news. So Jesus announces this. He said, now is the time. Now is the kairos time for you to understand what the kingdom of God is all about. Let me give another illustration. Remember Mary and Martha and, and, and Martha was so busy trying to take care of all the things that were going on there and wanted everything right in the house and, and Mary's sitting there at the feet of Jesus and she's listening. And, and here's what happens is Martha missed a Kairos moment. She missed that exact moment when God was going to speak to her. Jesus correcting her, Jesus encouraging her, was not because she she was doing something wrong. She was doing something right. She was just doing it at the wrong time, kairos, so to speak. She missed the kairos moment in her life. And it should be a lesson to all of us that we can miss that appointed time in our life when God wants to speak, when God wants to get our attention, because we're so caught up in chronology. We're so caught up in the hours and the days and the weeks of our life, and all of a sudden God bursts on the scene, He speaks to us, and we miss it altogether. You see, she needed to be tuned into the supernatural in that moment, but she was tuned into the natural. If you look at your life in days and years and months and you never try to to pinpoint some of those moments where God is speaking or you set up yourself to hear God speak, you can miss out on everything that's really critical for your future. What she did was she exchanged the, the unusual. Jesus was there speaking for the routine, Routine was important to her. Having a clean house was important to her. Having the guests well taken care of was important to her. It was so important to her she missed out on hearing from God. If you miss hearing from God, then you're not preparing yourself for the last days. Because God has to speak to you clearly. He has to open up revelation to you for you to understand how to live your life today. Where to put your emphasis, where to put your time, where to put your emotions so that it's balanced out well. One of the common things we hear from parents that, that have kids highly engaged in, in all kinds of sport activities is this. I am running all the time. I have no time. I have no chronos left is what they're saying. And parents, I just want to say to you that you can be so busy in that process of trying to satisfy an activity that you miss out on those moments to speak to your children or for God to speak to you about what God is up to in your life. And then then we get shocked later in life when our children do not understand anything about God's kairos moment in their life when God can speak, when God can touch their life, because they spent their whole life exhausted from the days and the hours, the weeks and the months. And what do you have when you're all done? Time and time again, parent has come to me trying to claim a scripture that says, raise up a child in the way that they should go and when they're older, not depart. You see, training means there's a process. It doesn't mean dragging I drug them to church every week. Don't you think they'll come, this will all come back? No, absolutely not. That's not training. That's not raising a child up in righteousness. That's not teaching them to walk by the things of God. It's not pouring into them and say, wait a minute, I know it's important. You think it's important for you to be engaged in five different sports right now. But here's what I'm gonna do: I'm gonna make a decision. You get one. And here's why you get one but they just act up. They need to be involved. Who's the parent? You see? And what we want to do is we want to say, I have to guard these times because kairos moments are eternal, but chronos moments are temporal. And the eternal moments where God speaks, the eternal moments where God says something, they're so precious but they can catapult you into a million wonderful Kronos moments. Because all of a sudden you gauge with God, God speaks to your heart, God changes your heart, God gives you wisdom and insight about your kids you could never get watching them run around on a soccer field. And now all of a sudden you go, I know the spiritual bent of my child. I know how to touch their life. I know how to engage. And most parents are on this fast journey until kids get 16, they get a car, and then all of a sudden they're on their own, and then they're 18, they're away from college, and they're trying to regain every moment, and what they're really trying to regain is not time, it's Kairos. The significant moments where God engages a heart, where God engages a family, where God changes the entire legacy for generations to come. We have to guard those very carefully. Also, when we prepare ourselves, we try to get ready for this end times, we have to develop spiritual discernment. See, the ability to be able to look into a situation and know what to do comes from God. And when you see it clearly, you have to be trained in it. To show you that, let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter 5 and verses uh, 12 through 14. In Hebrews, listen to what it says. Now, he's writing to believers, and he says this. He could be writing to everyone in this room right now. And he says this. For by this time, you ought to be teachers. In other words, you've been a Christian long enough, you should be teaching someone this. You should be instructing them. But you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. For you have come to need milk and not solid food. So what's happened? What's he prescribing here for us he's saying that you know you've been a christian long enough you've had enough time to read the word of god study the word of god but what's happened is you've never really gone beyond immaturity you've just kind of stayed on one level and and you've needed milk you need the basic stuff again it says for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of god Did you know that learning the word of God is a skill? I have people all the time say, I wish I knew the Bible as well as you do. And I always say, I wish I knew the Bible better, okay? But people will say that to me, I say, no, you don't. You don't wish that. What do you mean? Well, here's what it's gonna take. It's gonna take you setting up hours reading it. It's gonna take you setting up hours memorizing it. It's gonna take you going through some really tough times so that those scriptures come alive in your heart. You see, getting the Word of God in you is not an easy process. It's not like a book you read and you just kind of get it. There's something transformational that happens that has to happen because the Word of God is living and active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And what it does in the process is that sword cuts stuff away from you that doesn't belong. And you begin to see things with a different point of view. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness and as a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses trained to discern both good and evil. You know what happens when we read the word of God? It comes alive. I begin to read it and God begins to speak and I begin to hear. And this is where discernment comes in. How am I gonna know what to do in a situation? You see, if we operate by revelation, and not simply by reason, it makes a big difference. Let me give you a practical example. Okay, should you travel right now with a current scare with Ebola? Okay, well, you could look at State Department, you could look at CDC, you could look at infectious disease in Minnesota, or you could say, you know what, I need to really pray about this. I need to really seek God on this. Now, the only reason I use that as an example is because it's an obvious one. It's an easy one to, to, to point out. But it models everything else in life. So, for example, should I do this or should I do that? You should pray about that and really seek God. Let God speak to you. What is God saying about that situation? And as God begins to speak, you'll hear his voice. And he'll be he'll, the, the difference between the voice of God and the voice of Satan is easy to detect, by the way. God always comes as a still, small voice and just gently nudges us. Satan always comes nagging, pushing, guilting us. God never does that. So what I want to do is I want to say, God, show me what's going on, and would you bring some confirmations into my life about this job I'm supposed to take, this school I'm supposed to attend, this travel I'm supposed to make, whatever it is. Let God work in your life in that way. And then he tells us there in verse six, we need to deepen our faith, deepen our faith. It says, let us not sleep. You know what sleeping is all about here? It's about being asleep to the truth. Well, I don't know about that. Well, then know about that. Read that, study that. It's about being preoccupied. That is being too busy. You know, I'm the first one to tell you right now, I'm too busy. But I try not to be too busy that I don't hear from God. I'd like to change my schedule. I'd like to get a little easier schedule, would you? Okay, but why? What's the motivation? The motivation's gotta be, I wanna hear God speak to me. We're entertained, we're over entertained. You know the word amusement? It's a Greek word that means no mind. All right, so when I'm entertained or I'm being amused, it's just, I want something, I don't have to use my mind. You ever come home, guys, you ever come home from work and just wanna lay on the couch, turn on the TV, and not think. Now for guys, it's easier not to think than girls. We can just not think at the drop of a hat, right? Okay. But here's the thing. What happens is when those begin to become the controlling uh, uh, threads in our life, we miss out on what God is doing. Here's what I know. We owe the world, we owe the world an encounter with God. People need to see God in us. People need to feel God in us. Therefore, we should be relentless in the pursuit of his presence and his power, both inside and outside the church. We need to see what God can do as we begin to talk to people and help people move along that journey. And we need to stay connected to one another. In the book of Hebrews, again, another passage here that talks about this very subject. It says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. You ever wavered? You know, I, I believe in God, but I don't know, is God up, up, what's God doing? For he who promised is faithful. You see, when you, when you feel like I'm wavering, just remember this, God's faithful. Even when you're not faithful, God is faithful. God is faithful. Let us consider, let us consider one another how to, how to stir up one another in love and good works. What can I do in your life to help you love more? What can I help you do to stir up to be good and do good things in the kingdom of God? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. In other words, it says there's something really valuable when we come together. When we come together and you you get to interact and rub shoulders with people and you hear their story and you hear their struggles and you pray with them and you're in community, there's something very valuable, valuable. It says don't neglect that. It says, exhorting one another so much more as you see the day coming near. What day? The day of the Lord. So if I look at my world and I try to take some cultural cues and I tie it into the word of God and I say, I don't know when Christ is coming back. I don't know when some of these events are coming, but it seems like things are less stable than they've ever been before in my life in terms of the world situation. Okay, what does that say to me? That says to me, I need to encourage you more. Because we could very well be living. We could be a generation that sees the return of Christ. I don't know that. I'm just saying we could be. We want to be ready for that. So we want to encourage one another in our community, in our calling, and in our capacity. In other words, challenge you to go up. Be stronger. You know, we have a school of ministry now that is not, uh, is not designed solely for those who want to go into ministry. It's for anybody and everybody. And over 100 people have enrolled in that, and they're studying the Word of God. They're growing in their faith. And guess what? That begins to spill over in their life more and more. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about an African tribe. I, I read about this. I thought it was an interesting story because they do something very unusual. And this particular tribe of people When someone has done something wrong, what they do is they get these people, this person in the center of the tribe, in the village, and they circle this person for two days. When they've done something harmful, the whole tribe comes and surrounds them. And for two days, all they do is they tell the man all the good things he's done Instead of telling him all the bad things he's done or what he's done wrong in his life, they affirm him and say, let me tell you what we see in you. That tribe believes that each human being comes into the world good. That each one of us is only really desiring safety, love, peace, and happiness. But sometimes, in the pursuit of those things, people make mistakes. And the community then sees those mistakes not as a crime, but as a cry for help. They then unite to lift him up, to reconnect him with his true nature, to remind him who he really is until he fully remembers the truth that has been temporarily disconnected from him, and that is, there is in me the capacity to do good, to do right, to love one another. When you take that concept and you put it within the context of Christian community, it becomes extremely powerful. Because now it's just not about An idea that maybe you're good. It's the idea that God loves you and God can take all of that stuff and wash it away. We should never in the Christian community have that moment where we bring the person in the circle and we point out what's wrong with them. We want to point out God loves you and God cares for you. And if there's a message that we need for the last days, it's a message of hope. It's a message of love. It's a message of faith. So what do we want to do? A few life applications. We want to maximize our opportunities in the kingdom of God. How do I take the opportunities I have? And how do I maximize those? How do I capitalize on those kairos moments where God is speaking? We need to remember that God is a revealer of truth in our life. God can speak to you in ways that are amazing if you slow down long enough If you listen to the voice of God and let God speak in that kairos moment, and it'll come maybe in an unexpected time. You could literally be driving down the road, and all of a sudden your mind's wandering, and God will just break in, and he'll say, I've got something for you, and you need to remember that. You need to carry out what God is saying to you in your life. You need to increase your faith with courageous, courageous acts and words. You know, the thing that really makes the Christian life come alive is when we do what Jesus said. Remember what he said? Don't just be a hearer only, but be a what? Be a doer of the word as well. Carry out what God says. Let people see that. Glorify your Father in heaven, but when they see your good deeds, they say, look, what's the explanation? It's Jesus. It's love, faith good works, these things I'm incorporating in my life, and I'm going to be a change agent for the, go- the glory of Almighty God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and pray. God, as we think about our world and, and some of the challenges that we face um, living in this world that we find ourselves, challenges of, our, of the uncertainty of the times we live in, the challenge of what appears to be um, out-of-control stuff, lawlessness even, God. We know that you are the lawgiver. We know that you are our stability, you are our anchor, you are our rock in times of, of difficulty, in times of goodness. God, right now, all of us need to capitalize on those specific moments when God is speaking. This might be one of those moments where God has touched your heart by something that was said Today. Maybe it was just listening to him. Maybe it was raising your children. Maybe it was the busyness of your life. And you've missed out on some of those key elements where God could get your attention, God could grow you up in new and fresh ways. I'm just going to ask you while the band is, uh, is playing tonight that you would just ask God to speak. God, what is it I need to do? What is it you wanted me to do?